turn and greet your neighbor. Greetings. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll be starting at verse 6. And as always, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along. And there should be one. Ooh, somebody's got their hand up already. <laughs> if you need a Bible, raise your hands and the ushers will bring one to you. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We'll be starting at verse 6. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. Follow Tony's lead. Did I say 1 Timothy? Yeah. I just wanted the Timothy. No, <laughs> sorry about that. It's 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. It says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Father, we just pray as we look at these scriptures, we just ask, Lord, again, that you would make them real in our lives, even as we have an opportunity to look at some people before us, Lord, who this made such a profound impact in. We look at Timothy and Paul's encouragement towards them and understand, Father, that we need the same thing. And so use your word, make it, make it just so accessible in our lives, Father, that we grasp onto it and we take it out of this building, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. It was a couple of years ago, my wife went to Oklahoma. Uh, my mother-in-law lived there, and she went to visit my mother-in-law. And when she came back, she had a box of stuff. Some of the things that her mom had saved that had to do with the history of the family. And in that gift that she got, found something very interesting. You know how they have those TV shows that you can go back and you can, they, they check your DNA and they can tell you where you come from and, and all of that. It's kind of interesting. Well, instead of a DNA check, she had a B&E check. B&E check? A born-again experience check. Born-again experience in her family tree that we weren't really aware of because you always think, you know, what about the, 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 the generations that I don't know? For me, I know my grandfather came over from Italy, and my other grandfather, he came over from Ireland, but I don't know anything before that. I don't know if they knew the Lord or didn't know the Lord, and so we wonder, and my wife wondered as well, but she found something very interesting in that box of stuff. There was a marriage license, and the marriage license was dated 1933. It was the marriage license of her grandmother and grandfather. Now, her grandmother and grandfather, you have to realize, were German. My mother-in-law was born in Germany and raised in Germany. She lived throughout the war years in Germany as, as a child, but nonetheless. And so they come from that background, and so they got married. They were in Germany. It was 1933. Hitler was just coming upon the scene. Now, another gift that she got in that box was a diary, and I don't remember who the diary was by. It wasn't by them. It was another relative, right? Yes. And anyway, she's talking about the day-to-day -day occurrences of life. And as she, you know, we, we went over to Hilga's, just bringing that out of the air, um, birthday party today, and you know, we did this, kind of like what you would write. 
And then she says, we saw more and more tanks on the Autobahn today. And then there was another thing. She was talking about just a day of occurrence, and she said, there was rioting in town for the businesses that had stars on the window. And it was kind of interesting, the stuff that you read about in history books, it was being played out in their lives. Well, my wife got a blessing on that, that marriage certificate because down at the bottom, handwritten, was 1 Timothy. I keep saying 1 Timothy. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. In a very fearful time, it was written there, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power love and a sound mind. And so it was just a blessing from God for her, for me as well, but just to see during that time of trouble and turbulence and everything that was going on, these people had their eyes upon the Lord. They had no idea what was before them because both of them would perish in the war. Uh, Terry's grandmother, natural grandmother, she died as a result of childbirth, just a sickness that she got, and her grandfather died in the Eastern Front in the war against Russia. But they had their eyes upon the Lord. They had their eyes upon the Lord during fearful times. Now, keep this in mind. You know, we think of fearful times. We just get little bits and tastes of that. 911, it was a fearful time, but it soon passed and went away. We hear the things that go on on the other side of the world. Every once in a while it enters. It hit fairly close to home a few months ago in San Bernardino. But we live in fearful times, but it's not all encompassing at this point. And so that being the case, I have to understand that God is constantly preparing me for what lies before me. And so the scripture today, the verses that we have to study, are very important. All scripture is very important. But I really believe that God is preparing the church for the things that are going to happen because we always think of the things that are going to happen as the rapture and we're gone. But the way I see it in the scripture, although that is going to happen, but things are going to get a lot tougher beforehand. How do I know that? Think 10 years ago, think 20 years ago, think 30 years ago, and think how things have regressed. What if the Lord tarries another 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? Think how much further, unless there's revival, but think how much further things are going to regress. I don't think things are going to get better. There could be that time of revival before the Lord takes the church, But nonetheless, it's during these hard times, these very fearful times, that we need to stand strong and be bold in the Lord. Now, Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul has a proper biblical perspective of life, and because of that, he has a proper biblical perspective on death. Again, they go hand in hand. If you have a proper biblical perspective of life, you will have a proper biblical perspective of death. For the Christian of faith, death becomes more of a relocation than a going away. It's not that that person doesn't exist, it's just that that person no longer exists with us. Now, there's still the mourning process and all of that. God has created us that way. But Paul understands this. He understands this through a lot of his writings. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 through 58, he's going through the whole process of the necessity to die, become a spiritual being, and, and all that transpires in that, and how we are to be changed. And after going through all of that, he says in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 
And so the things that we do are going to bear fruit. God's got reason and purpose. We can so look at the apostles and think, okay, well, that work is done. But no, we are to be continuing that work just as important, just as necessary as Peter, James, and John, and all of the rest. And you can look at some of the giants of the faith. You can look at Spurgeon or Martin Luther King before him. Again, I just looked at this DVD of Martin Lloyd-Jones, which I thought was really good and it was inspiring. But we are to be writing our own history even right now, setting our own witness and setting that as example for the future generations also. And so Paul, he's in that cold, damp place of a Roman dungeon, but he understands that, well... If God decides to take me, then I'm going to go. If God decides to leave me, then I'm going to stay. So Paul's remaining steadfast, immovable, and abounding in the work of the Lord, all because he knows that his ministry is not in vain. God's got reason and purpose. So put yourself in Paul's place. What if by the end of the day you found yourself in a dungeon, in a jail? Lord, I mean, the majority of us, and I say us because maybe I do the same thing, we'd be whining and complaining rather than pushing and moving. Because we can, get, we can so allow situations and circumstances to dictate the joy that we are to have in the Lord and the motivation that we have in ministry, or are supposed to have in ministry. And so we saw last time we met, we had Mother's Day last week, but in verses 3-5, through five, we saw three aspects of Paul's spiritual life, his point of view, even magnified by his circumstances. We saw his private life in verse 3 for... Let me get back to 2 Timothy. I thank God who I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did without ceasing. I remind you in my prayers night and day. And so there was communion. He, had, he was continued to foster the relationship that he had with the Lord. There was consecrating. He set himself aside for the study of God's Word and dedication to God and his conscience. His conscience was clear. He had a pure conscience. Why? Because again, he set God as the motivation for his ministry and the calling of the Lord. We see his prayer life. His prayer life was perpetual, it was personal, and it was periodical. And what I mean by that, he says, I remember you in my prayers night and day. He had a set time for prayer, and we looked at the necessity of setting aside time in our lives for prayer. And then his historical life, Historical life was just simply the memories of ministry. Verse 4, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Now, I really believe that Paul, Paul had a passion for this man, Timothy, and to see this man flourish in the midst of ministry. See, Paul, from his prison point of view, he understands that Timothy, Timothy isn't in the best of shape. He's not in the best of spiritual shape. Paul's attachment to Timothy, I really think, speaks volumes of his, 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 his faith in this man and his knowledge in the ability that this man has to be used by God in a great degree. Keeping in mind, Timid Timothy, Timid Timothy, tradition says, would one day give his life for his beliefs, for his faith. So this man was willing to go the distance. But as of right now, Timothy, like us, he's a project. He's a project. Turn over to Acts chapter 15. We see where 
I don't know if they met the very first time, probably on Paul's first missionary journey, but we see where the Lord ministered to the heart of Paul, I believe, to bring a Timothy into his life and why, why Paul was so dedicated to him. Now, think of Paul. Paul's a man of passion. No matter where he's at, even if he's in prison, he's going 100 miles an hour. He's of the mindset of the ministry, and so even though I'm in prison, how am I going to get the word out? Well, I can write letters to various churches. I can encourage people, so on and so forth. Timothy, he's a freeman. He's a pastor in the church at Ephesus, and apparently he ain't doing a whole lot. Paul's got to tell him, stir up your gift. Why do you tell somebody to stir up their gift? Because they've settled down. They've, they've settled down into inactivity. Well, back in Acts chapter 15, verse 36, and again, my point being, I, I'm just very surprised that a man like Paul would spend time and invest time in somebody like Timothy, because that kind of person such as Paul was usually runs people like that over, as he did one young man. In Acts chapter 15, verse 36, Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, now this is after their first missionary journey, they're preparing to go out on a second missionary journey, he says, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. There was this man, John Mark, young man, John Mark. He went out on the first missionary journey, and guess what? It got hard. The situations and circumstances, it became very difficult. John Mark says, I'm out of here. He left. He bailed out on him in the middle of ministry. But then you have a Barnabas, son of encouragement. This man is the kind of person that he's attracted to people who, well, people may look at as being failures. And Paul looked at as being, well, not worthy of our ministry, that if he bailed on us, we're going to bail on him. Well, Barnabas comes alongside and, you know what? This man needs to be taught. This man needs to be trained. He does not need to be discarded. And so Barnabas wants to bring him. He wants to see him used by the Lord. Verse 38, but Paul. And I think this was sin in Paul's life. Now, you're saying Paul was a sinner? Well, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And when I say sin, I think Paul was missing the mark here. Paul was missing the mark. Because again, he's a man who's passion. And when you're a person who's passion for a purpose, it can be so easy to run people over. But in Christianity, nobody gets run over. Nobody gets left behind. We need to see value in all people. Paul needs to get his perspective in order here. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from So you got Barnabas and you got Paul. Barn- we need to encourage him. No, I have nothing to do with that guy. He bailed out on us. Yeah, but we need to teach him. We need to show him what is right. And so there's this budding of the heads between the two. And it became to such a degree, they said, all right, well, if you want to take Mark, I'm paraphrasing here, you go ahead and take him and I'll, I'll take Silas and I'll go my way. And that's exactly what happened. The tension became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brother to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches, keeping in mind that God uses imperfect people. God uses us even despite of ourselves. And so even because of this contention and all, God basically just parted the ministry and are using each of them 
to the degree to which he had called them. We just don't hear of Barnabas. Barnabas may have even done a work equal to Paul, but the Holy Spirit has decided to use Paul's ministry throughout the Scriptures and the epistles. And then you enter into chapter 16, verse 1. Paul, the Spirit would say, if you're going to reject a John Mark, I'm going to bring a timid Timothy. And I guarantee you this, if he would have rejected a timid Timothy, he would have brought somebody else into his life. Because there's a lesson to be learned here. When you become a leader, the lessons do not cease to come. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple there named Timothy. First thing, first thing, rejects John Mark. Behold, consider this young man, Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, and his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him. We don't have that requirement here for for ministry. And, And because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew his father was Greek, and as they went through the cities, they delivered to them to decrees to keep which were determined the apostles and elders of Jerusalem, and the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased number daily." So he took this man, this young man, Timothy, who we're seeing is quite a project. Now, if you fast forward back to 2 Timothy, this is the last epistle that the Apostle Paul wrote. And so what you're seeing here is, is his last words to Timothy that we have recorded, but also the end result of his ministry. So it's important to understand, after all of those years, this is what, in Paul's mind, we're leaving the church to. This is the leadership in and who we're leaving the church to. So Paul stays on Timothy, encouraging, exhorting, and influencing him to take over, to move on, and continue to move up. Again, verse 6, Therefore I remind you, because he has to, to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And so the life of a pastor, especially Paul, minding the church, mindful of God's will, and reminding the people. Reminding the people. Reminding the people of the things of the Lord. Reminding the people to put aside the works of the flesh. Reminding the people to reach forward to the Holy Spirit. If you saw in the bulletin, I didn't hear the announcements of Sean announcement, but we're having another marriage seminar. And you could say, well, we just had a marriage seminar not too long ago. How's your marriage doing because of it? Is there anybody here who doesn't need another one? And again, it's a lot of the things that we talk about are just simply reminding. And it's not even necessary that, necessarily that you have forgotten it. It's that you have chosen, maybe even unconsciously, to ignore it. And things that need to be constantly brought before our face. In marriage, in our Christian lives. I mean, that's the majority of what we do Sunday morning, Sunday night, and the midweek Thursday as well, is reminding. So because Paul is reminding Timothy to stir up the spiritual gifts that God has given him, this tells me two things. First, it tells me that Timothy is accountable and that there is a point in his life that his gifting was very obvious. Timothy knows that he's spiritual gifted, and he knows what his spiritual gifting is. We saw this in 1 Timothy, really 1 Timothy this time, verse 4, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 12, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, 
in faith and purity till I come give attention to the reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. So he told him, don't neglect your gift. And now he's telling him to stir up this gift. So he's well aware of the gift. But the problem is Timothy is not exercising the gift. And so Paul is thinking, here I am, I'm in prison, I'm moving 100 miles an hour, and Timothy's the spiritual sluggard. Well, Paul's really speaking to the majority of the church because everybody who is a born-again believer, if you're a born-again believer here today, God has spiritually gifted you somehow, some way. Read 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. There's some sort of spiritual gift that God has given you. Are you exercising that spiritual gift? Are you using that spiritual gift? We have a responsibility to do so. Unfortunately, we so allow it to stay stagnant rather than stirring it up, rather than moving forward. And so that would be the second point. Timothy has reverted to inactivity again. Now, the way I look at it, I look at gifted musicians. And they're just amazing to me. There was a man who was on staff when I was on staff at another church, and I, I know how to play I'm not a guitar player, but I know how to play guitar. And there was a song that I wanted to learn, and so I went into his office one day, and I said, do you have the music to this particular song, or do you know how to play it? He goes, well, I don't even know what song you're talking about. And I go, well, he goes, you have a recording of it? I go, yeah. And so I went and got the recording of it and played it before him. And he goes, yeah. And he, he picked up his guitar and he played the song. I mean, it was, that was just the way this, this person was, well, just how he was gifted. And he wrote out the chords for me, and I walked out of there knowing how to play the song. I mean, I still couldn't play it, but I at least had the, the means by which to play it. And so a gifted musician, a gifted musician doesn't stay static. He does still need to practice. He still needs to learn. Although gifted, he's still going to have to put quite a few hours in. You've heard of the term a natural athlete. Well, that natural athlete, he's put a lot of hours into the weight room, into watching films, into everything so that he would be able to excel on the field. A spiritually gifted man or woman, you need to develop that gift. I went over to a church and I I did a funeral actually at another church. This was quite a few years ago and somebody came up to me and said, yeah, I heard you around when you first started the church and you've gotten better. (laughs) I don't know if that was a compliment or an insult, but yeah, I had been doing it for quite a few years and putting time and and, and effort into it, and so that's just a, a dynamic that we recognize in our lives that the more we put into something, the better we become at it. So even though I am spiritually gifted, I still need to put the work into it, I still need to put the effort into it, I still need to refine these things. It's not an action done in the flesh, it's an action that is done in the Spirit, But it's all part of the work of ministry. The work of ministry that takes effort. And so, potential not realized is a waste. And for the Apostle Paul, time is truly of the essence. Again, Timothy, a future leader in the church. And so he says, take that gift and stir it up. Have you ever gone camping? And you had the campfire? And it wasn't quite time to go to bed, but the fire is kind of dying and you neglected to put a new log on. And so the first thing you'll do is you'll stir up the coals. 
and the coals will kind of catch fire again. Some of the unburnt, insulated pieces of wood will now be exposed and it will burn, and it will kind of catch on. There will be a rekindling, it's called, of the fire. And that's what Paul is encouraging, encouraging Timothy to do, is to rekindle your spiritual gift. Because as far as spiritual giftings, there should be a fire. There should be a passion. And again, Paul's example is he's very passionate. He's looking at Timothy. He's like, come on. You've got to get going here. I'm not going to be around. The, the generation that we look to isn't going to be around. Again, I was watching this video of Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was born in 1899, died in 1981. Just such an inspiration. But I'm thinking, where's the Martin Lloyd-Jones of today? Chuck Smith is dead. He's gone. He's with the Lord. Where's the Chuck Smiths of today? And so we have to stir up. We have to stir up the spiritual giftings. And today's youth day, not having um, high school ministry, I'm speaking to you. Are you stirring up your gifts today as well? Not the future of the church. You're the presence of the church, but you are the future leaders of the church. So the question to be asked is, how are gifts stirred into a flame? How are they developed and prepared for ministry? The gifts that you have, the gifts that God has given you, how are your gifts stirred into a flame? How are they developed? And how are they prepared for the ministry that God has before you? Keeping in mind that to vacuum carpets is a spiritual gift. To serve donuts and hospitality is a spiritual gift. All of these things are equally important. Everything that goes on in this church is as equally important in the sight of God as what I do. Now the Word of God is going to have a more prominent position and it is necessary, but nonetheless, as far as the person, as far as the avenue through which God works, that gifting is looked at as just as important as any other. And so again... How is it that we stir our gifts into a flame? How is it that we develop in? How is it that we are prepared for this work of ministry? Verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The first thing to understand is the most effective exercise you can do is the one that you get up and do. You may know and understand that running five miles a day or walking five miles a day is going to cause me to lose weight and be in great shape. But if you don't do it, what good is it? The most effective exercise that you do is the one that you get up and do. Where do these membership gyms make the most part of their, the biggest portion of their money for people who sign up and don't go? And you're all nodding your heads because, yeah, I've done that. I mean, just think of it. You're, you're paying them, what, 20 bucks a month or whatever it might be, and you're not using any of their electricity, any of their water, any of their machines, any of their weights, any of their stuff whatsoever. You're just giving a donation over to some gym. And you're thinking, yep, one day I'm going to get there, and man, I'm going to look like whoever the latest guy is, Arnold Schwarzenegger from my generation, going to look like a governor. Well, this was before he was a governor when he was a bodybuilder. I mean, they make, you got these people that have great intentions, but no motivations. And I should say, you know, I'm in the same, I've been in the same boat as well. The three greatest deceptions of the devil are, the word is not true, you have more time, and then to instill fear in your heart. The word is not true, so you're not going to be bold in the word of God if you buy into that. You have more time. 
I'll get to it later. Spiritual prostate, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Prostate, you know what I'm, well, whatever those people just said. And then to instill fear into your heart. Because, well, we'll get to that in just a little bit. There's nothing that paralyzes a Christian life more than fear will. I mean, think about it. When you've been, when you've been afraid, when you've been afraid to the core, it's caused you to be paralyzed. It's caused you to pull back and to step back. And so when I look at this, I'm thinking, any time I didn't exercise a spiritual gifting or a spiritual opportunity, what was it that hindered me? Usually it was fear. And here in this country, it probably wasn't fear for your life. It was probably more along the lines of fear of what they may say or fear of what they may think. But fear, think of it. Fear was a problem for Peter. Peter had told the Lord Jesus Christ that he would die for him. But in Luke chapter 22, he's confronted by a little slave girl, and he denies that he even knows Jesus Christ. Fear, well, if you're reading through the one-year Bible, we're in that area of 1 Timothy 17 through 19. Fear paralyzed Israel. They were afraid of this giant, of this one man, but there was this one young boy who, he didn't have a fear of that man. He had a fear of the Lord, and he took that man's head. Abraham, he had a fear of the king rather than a fear of the Lord, and he denied that his wife was really even his wife. And then fear almost eliminated Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. Here's a man who stood up against false prophets and achieved a great victory in the Lord, and then he hears that Queen Jezebel is after him, and it throws him off his game, and he becomes fearful and inactive. So as far as fear, we are to fear God. This is a fear of the Lord that leads to active service of the Lord. If you look in the Scriptures, when you see the fear of the Lord mentioned, it's always in the context of active service to the Lord. My father told me that every, I don't remember what day it was, I think it was Saturday that they came, every Friday night I was to have those trash cans out. And as soon as that trash can, the trash truck came and took them away I was to have them in or at least when I got home I was to have them in and I had a fear of Hank or Scioli and so I did that I had a healthy respect and our relationship flourished as I was as I was obedient but what about our fear of the Lord the repercussions aren't always instant and I don't see them and so I can be very lax I can be very lax in what God has called me to do and so, if I truly have a fear of the Lord, a respect for God as being God, I'll be obedient to God. All of this is mute without a filling of the Holy Spirit as well. So we are speaking of spiritual gifting, and so spiritual gifting, it speaks of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So, we are in a position to set on fire the gifting that we receive from God. It's a three-step process, but we are in position when we recognize, that first of all, the dynamic power of God. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. Spirit here speaks of your personality. It tells us that I am to understand the power that God has blessed me with. Spirit of fear, personality of fear. But also, I'm to set that aside, because it's going to exist, but I set that aside and I understand the power that God has filled me with through His Holy Spirit. And so now my personality, instead of being seen as fearful, even though that may exist, I'm seen as powerful. 
that I understand that it's God who has called me, God who has gifted me, and God who is going to enable me. And any consequences that come from that, God's going to be in that as well. So when it comes to exercising your spiritual gifting, we're told in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so I'll be telling somebody or encouraging somebody, and they tell me, I can't do that. And that's not true, because the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, it's got to be that which God has called you to do, and God has enabled you to do, but if that's the case, then yeah, you can do it. Now, there's some things that transcend all callings, and Paul will get to that in chapter 4 in 2 Timothy, when he says, fulfill your ministry, do the work of an evangelist. So again, if you're if you're cleaning floors or cleaning toilets or whatever it might be, be of the mindset of doing the work of an evangelist, praying for those people or whatever, whatever it might be. But I speak of the word evangelist. I speak of sharing God's word, of giving the gospel. And people can, well, you know what? I, I don't know if I could just do that. We can do all things. We can do all things. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And that's something that we need to understand. It's something that we need to possess. To not realize this dynamic power, and when I say dynamic power, I mean power in operation, power that is observed in a life. To not realize this power is to grieve the Holy Spirit and hinder what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your lives. Again, if you have allowed fear to paralyze you rather than realizing the power of God, you're going to have power leaks. I was doing a work at my house. I was going to spray texture on the wall. I got my compressor and I got this, it's called a hopper. You fill it with this drywall mud stuff and you shoot it on the wall. And so I hooked it all up. I pulled the trigger and nothing happened. You know why nothing happened? There was a leak in the hose. Uh, there's the leak with the hose, there's a power leak, and you're not able to achieve its purpose. And so, in your prayer life, do you have a power leak? Does it just seem like you're praying and praying and never hearing anything back or never realizing an answer from God? How about witnessing? I never really am able to lead anybody to the Lord. Have you assumed the dynamic power of God? Have you asked to be filled with His Holy Spirit? Are you being obedient to the call? Are you prepared? Do you have the gospel that you're able to deliver it in a concise way when given the opportunity? Same goes with preaching. Same goes with joy, hearing the word of God, communion with God, teaching, peace in your life. Are there power leaks in that? Understand that God has not called us a spirit of fear, but he's called us to power. Understand that power. Allow that power to be cultivated in and through your lives and you'll see your Christian life changed. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that creation was created. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1-3. through And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that man is recreated, that mankind is born again. The second step in stirring up your gifting is to permit love to stir your heart. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love. This would make sense when you realize that the exercising of your giftings, what does it produce? What fruit does it produce? It produces love. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through the first part of 23, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love. It speaks of love being singular. So there's, I'm sorry, of fruit being singular. And fruit being singular, love, everything else that follows is a result of love. And so if I am filled with the Holy Spirit, if God has given me gifts, which He has, if you're a born-again believer, 
then you are to exercise it in a spirit of love. This is not to be all googly-eyed looking at somebody kind of a thing. That's the wrong kind of love. This is the love that you minister to somebody sacrificially. This is you getting outside of yourself and going beyond yourself for the benefit of somebody else. This would be where Paul failed with John Mark. Now later on, he will see, you'll see that he did turn his heart back towards John Mark, but at, back in Acts chapter 15 when they were going on their second missionary journey, that's where Paul was lacking. He had all the passion, but he didn't have that sacrificial love that he should have had. Galatians 5, 22-23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's been said that a heart that is controlled by divine love is in conscience enjoyment of the love of God. And remember, it was love that stirred God's heart so that He would come and save you. For God so loved the world. That was the main means of motivation. His ministry was motivated by the great love with which He had for you that He would come and sacrifice a son. How about you? What are you willing to do? Do you have that love within your life that you're willing to sacrifice yourself? Again, set aside the love that you have for your family, the love that you have for friends, the love that you have for your spouse. This, this love that I would sacrifice of myself, that I would give of the gifting, which means giving of yourself, giving of your time, giving of your finances and all of that, so that somebody may be saved, somebody may come into the kingdom of heaven. Are you able to love to that capacity? Well, if you're still fearful, the Bible speaks of the antidote for fear. If you're fearful in your Christian life, the antidote for fear is love. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. So if you have that agape love, that sacrificial love for others, you'll be able to overcome your fear. So you may be sitting there thinking, okay, yeah, I'm a fearful person, but I just got to do it. Don't do it in the flesh. Do it in the Spirit. And the Spirit's going to enable you and show you how to develop a love for people that enables you to overcome that fear. So that that fear will become secondary in your mind as primary in your mind is going to be for the salvation of others. And again, as we get that priority straight, it's going to be a natural extension of your Christian life. The third step in stirring up your gifting is to discipline your thoughts. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and a sound mind. We have a radio show. Radio show is on Sunday mornings. It's at 10 o'clock, coincides with our services. The name of our radio show is A Sound Mind. Why? Because I was going to name it An Insane Mind, but that didn't, I didn't think you'd get too many li- listeners that way. No, because that's what we need in this day. You've got your mind bombarded with so much information, with the internet, with the television. How many people still get newspapers here? I knew Jeff was going to raise his hand. But it's going down. But no, you've got all of these sources of, of information and you get so bombarded in these things, they can start to pile up and they can bury your faith in the bottom of that pile. Have a sound mind. Always examine these things and look at these things with the knowledge of God's Word and the plan that God is working out. And so as I see ISIS come upon the scene and things are seemingly going out of control, no, they're not out of control. They're they're falling into place. 
as I see the bathroom thing going on, I'm wondering what's it going to be like in 10 years, but I don't know if we're going to continue 10 years, but even if we do, things are still going according to God's timetable. As the world says things are going to get better, well, in fact, the th- things are really getting worse. God said those things were, were going to happen. I need to have a sound mind. And really what that means is taking the things of your life, taking the things of the world, and discerning them through the Word of God. And again, that's what we're doing here on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Thursday, Wednesday morning for the men's study. Small groups, we're exercising our brains and so that when it comes time, when the attacks come or the worry is there, we have a sound mind in the midst of all that's going on. This, the idea here is, is self-control through a disciplined mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4-5, through 5, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Wouldn't that be a blessing if you got there? Bringing every thought into captivity. Every sinful thought, bring it into captivity. That's sin. I'm going to flee that. I'm going to forsake that, whatever it might be. Every fearful thing, taking that thought into captivity. Okay, well, how does this situation or that group of people, the terrorists, whatever they might be, because what's the terrorist, what are the terrorist's main goal? Is to instill fear into a people. Taking all of those things into captivity and comparing them against God and the power of God. And to continue to do that throughout every aspect of my life. My health. Health goes upside upside down. Because what do we, oh, we just naturally go all the way through even to, to the point of death. But taking that thought into captivity. God's able to heal me. If God chooses not to heal me, the Lord's will be done. But to understand that I'm in God's perfect will, I'm a favored child of His. To understand if you lose the job, take the thoughts into captivity. Because, you know, it's like a shotgun. It so easily goes in a hundred different directions. But take the thoughts into captivity. Be obedient to the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord and find out what His will may be in the situation or circumstances of your life. The Christian life is all about the simplicity of the message and the consistency of the messenger. Paul's concerned. Paul's concerned. Maybe he needs to take that thought into captivity, but I think God took his concern in order for us to learn some lessons here. Timothy, time is of the essence. Paul thought the Lord was coming back in his day, and Paul realizes, obviously, that even though he can get the word out, he's severely limited. I I can't imagine he knew to the magnitude that the word was going to go out, that this letter would be published in God's word for all the ages. But nonetheless, Timothy, you're the next generation of leadership. And as you're the next generation of leadership, stir up the gift that has been given you. I think that had to penetrate Timothy's heart. Because when the gifting that is within us is recognized by others, we can be so happy, we can be pretty prideful. But unless we really stir it up, put it into activity, it's just going to stagnate. Paul says, stir it up. God's not called you to a spirit of fear. God hasn't called you to that. That's not the desire of God in your life. But God has called you to a, a spirit of power so that you would realize God in yourself, a spirit of love so that you would realize others, and a sound mind so that you would 
be prepared for every good work that God has. Father, once again, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. And Father, especially when we come to practical portions of Scripture such as today, that your word, Father, speaks to us and guides us in our Christian life. And Lord, I pray that we would grasp onto these things, that we would see and understand, Father, how, Lord, you, you speak to us for the reasons of your purposes. Because if the church gets these things, then the church is going to be mighty in the hand of God. Lord, we see how cyclical the church can be as things are up and down. There's revival and there's times of stagnant. May we understand, Lord, is when we as individuals grasp these things that we see a fresh movement of the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come upon us even right now, that you would prepare us for every good work. I pray, Father, for mothers and fathers that you would prepare them to stir up their gifts for the purpose of their households. Lord, I pray for students here that you would enable them to stir up their gifts for the purpose of the work you want to do in schools. Lord, in the workplace, I pray that you would stir up our gifts, that we would see, Father, an awesome work done at the place that we go to make our living. And especially here at church, may we stir up our gifts and see a mighty movement, Lord, that is undeniably you, Father, that you would be glorified. And so, Father, we just thank you for this day. I pray, Father, that each person here would truly consider these things to your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you please stand? Well, first of all, our printer tried to cancel service tonight, but... um, We are not canceled. It says it's canceled in one section of the bulletin. We're going to be back in 1 Timothy. We're in chapter... I'm not 1 Timothy. I I don't know why I keep trying to go to 1 Timothy. (laughs) Isaiah. We're in Isaiah chapter 45. Again, we're having a marriage conference. We have a pretty busy June scheduled, really. We have a men's breakfast. If you, by the way, if you're waiting to the last minute of the men's breakfast, it's next Saturday. You need to get signed up, like, today. Um, Men's breakfast next Saturday. And uh, ladies, we could use some help on that as far as just some of the servants and, and whatnot. And then in June 4th, we're having the marriage conference. The marriage conference isn't just our church, it's three other churches. So we're going to have uh, Mrs. Pastor Mike and myself up here, and we're going to be speaking on marriage and balancing marriage and ministry. We have another couple who's going to be speaking of what the Lord has done in their lives and their ministry. And then the last couple is going to be speaking after... Um, lunch. Um, The wife has dealt with cancer, and so she's going to be speaking about, well, both of them will be speaking about how that's influenced their marriage and and their ministry as well. Um, I'm looking at this as an outreach. Obviously, it is open to the church, but we are advertising it. We're putting on the radio. All three of us are on the radio, and so it's kind of a radio outreach, but you're more than welcome to come. need to sign up for it. But also, we really need to have some servants that day, too, because I pray that we're going to have a lot of people that are unfamiliar with our church. And so if you're able to serve that day, I encourage you to sign up at the information booth. Other than that, again, tonight we're back in First Tim. No, not First Timothy. Back in Isaiah. God bless you guys. <laughs>